Amen. Amen. Good morning. So, um, we're in a bit of a different series. So, you might remember for a while we were doing Acts, and then in the last term we were doing Faith, Hope, and Love. Um, and this term we're doing a series called Love Letters. Um, because we, not just because we've got love letters up on the stage, although you can see how our mind works, but um, this. Um, just feel like there's a, a number of things that God has to say to us um, this term, which might not fit in any you know, specific book of the Bible or fit in any specific th- three words, but there's, there's stuff that God is wanting to communicate to us. So this is a bit more of a general um, series. And this morning, because it's a Sunday of our prayer weekend, um, it was suggested that we should talk about the Lord's Prayer. And... Um, I was like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And then I, um, so here we are. I'm going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. And um, you'll be delighted to know, and I started kind of getting into it. I was like, oh my goodness, it's only 66 words, but there's a lot of stuff here, um, which I can, you'll all be very excited about. And I was like, I've probably got about three hours of material, but I've got about half an hour to talk. So let's see how that goes. Um, We'll see where we get to, shall we? Um, But we'll start by reading it, obviously. Um, This version we're going with comes from um, the NIV. It's in Matthew. Um, Jesus is having a conversation with disciples about prayer. He's done this whole prelude about don't... Don't pray for show, don't stand and make big grand prayers, but do it in private and, and do it with humility. And then he says, and then pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's quite a, it's quite a prayer, like I say, six, six words. And um, it's quite an interesting little prayer. And you kind of go, so what's going on here? Because this is going to be a prayer that is very familiar to so many of us. Um, whether you grew up in church or not, in school probably you've been reciting this. And this, is some, this is a prayer that is probably the most famous text in Scripture. And which is great that we know this, but one of the problems with that is we can become so familiar with it that we stop thinking about it, that we stop absorbing it into us, that we stop, um, we stop letting it teach us, because we know it. But I wonder how well we know it. It's one thing to know the, the sequence of the words, it's another thing to know the prayer. So, we'll go back to the, the beginning. Our Father. Okay, this starts with a bombshell. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to a group and, and a 
wider crowd. He's speaking to a group of people who have grown up in the Jewish tradition where you are not allowed to mention the name of God, where God's name goes unmentioned, where you... And so there is an awe, there is a distance between you and God, there is a a level of um, awe-filled separation between you and God. And Jesus starts his prayer with our Father. And there's a lot in this. So firstly, the the Hebrew is actually um, Father of us, or um, Abba, which the best translation maybe today is Dad. So he starts his prayer to this creator God with the phrase, our Dad. She's profoundly familiar just wouldn't pray this way to the creator of the universe to the to the god who resides in the temple in jerusalem you just wouldn't and yet he says start your prayer with this incredibly familiar this incredibly familiar expression of dad our father father of us which has bigger connotations as well because the father, the head of the household, as it were, was the, the, um, the father was the head of the household. And so he would be in charge of how things were distributed, how things run, run around here, how things were done around here. And it's, so it's a, an acknowledgement that God is God. God is the source of all things. God is the director of all things. God is God of all things. And he says, he says, our father... In heaven, heaven, again, we can get a little bit confused here. So heaven, in in Jewish thinking, is a little bit different from how we might think of it today because we have a more Platonic idea, a more Greek um, and Roman idea of heaven and hell, this sort of separation, earth and heaven and hell down there and heaven up there, and, and that's kind of evolved through our theology into this place where we kind of disappear to um, at the end or evacuate to when it's all gone badly wrong or, or go to when we die or and actually the, the sense, the deep sense here in this context heaven was this um, where all things this place where all things were in harmony with God where all things were at complete peace and shalom the fullness and wholeness of everything. That's what heaven was. So he's going off, Dad, this person, this God, this creator I am in deep relationship with, who is in the midst of all, in the midst of heaven, where all things are in harmony with you. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is a word that we don't use more than three or four times a day, right? So it's not maybe a word that we're that familiar with. So, but here this word is, it's, it can be holy, that your name be holy, but actually name was something that really profound because the name was your character, your identity, how you were known, who you were known to be, your nature. Who you were was encapsulated in your name. 
And so when it says, hallowed be your name, may your name be holy, it was, may you be known to be who you are as holy, as creator of all things, as, as where all things are in harmony together. May your name be truly known. And the other interesting thing about this is because actually in, in the Jewish faith, they, everything was based on the law, the Ten Commandments, and, um, and the rest of the law, because there were far more than ten. But, um, but we talk about the Ten Commandments. And the uh, third commandment is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Which, when I was growing up, you may have had the same experience. That was all about not swearing, or not saying, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, or whatever it might be. That's what that was about. That's, how, that's what I understood that to be. That's what I was brought up for that. But actually, what's going on there... Still don't say that, kids. But, um, but what's going on there was actually something far more profound. What it says in the Hebrew is, do not take upon yourself the name or identity or character or nature of God and then leave it empty. Live it out in vain or live in opposition to it. Do not say you are God's people and then live in opposition to his character, to his nature, to his identity. Do not take upon yourself that role and then live in opposition. And as image bearers of God, as we talk about frequently here, as people who are image bearers of God, of people who are the visible representation of the invisible God, let's not be people who take upon ourselves the name of God and then live lives that are in opposition to that, that reflect different values. Let's not be, for instance, let me try and dream something up. Let's not be a nation that says it is Christian and identifies itself as Christian and then builds walls around itself to keep the immigrants out. I'm trying to imagine that sort of scenario. I mean, I've reached, but um, that could happen, couldn't it? And don't take upon yourself the nature, the name. Say you are followers of God, say you are Christian, say you are, and lend that your actions, your behavior, be in opposition to that. And it's saying, may your name be known, and the way that God's name is known is through us. We are the visible representation of the invisible God. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, there is a responsibility that we assume on ourselves to ensure that God's name is known, God's nature is known, God's identity is known to be holy, to be perfect, to be this name within which all things are held, this creator from which all things originate. This God who all holds all things together. So the first two lines were whistle, whistling through this. Signs are good. We might not get to three hours. So, your kingdom come. This is a deeply political statement. Again, this is, this is said in a context of a nation, of a faith, people of faith, of a nation of faith who are occupied, who are oppressed, who are under the rule of Roman law, who are under Caesar, who declares himself to be the son of the gods, through which all peace will come to all the earth by force, by might, by strength, by power, by oppression, by death, by violence. 
the Roman kingdom had particular characteristics. And so for a rabbi in an occupied part of that kingdom to pray to a different God and say, your kingdom come, is an act of revolution. And today, to be a Christian, to be a follower of God in a society that is driven by greed and by wealth and by power and by violence and by division, to pray the prayer, your kingdom come, is a statement of revolution. We are going to live by different rules. We are going to live in a different kingdom. We are going to serve a different God. And as agents in that kingdom, as participants in that kingdom, we commit ourselves to the bringing about of that kingdom. This isn't just some wishing to the wind sort of prayer going, wouldn't it be nice if your kingdom was it? It's a statement of revolution saying, I am going to pour myself, commit myself, invest myself in your kingdom, in the bringing of peace, in the bringing of reconciliation that we've just heard. How prophetic is it for the church in a time when our nation is more divided than ever in my lifetime, in our lifetimes, for generations? in a time when our society, our nation, is more divided, how prophetic for the church to say, we will be a place of reconciliation. I'm so excited about about that. I think that's a phenomenal initiative. I was so excited when I heard that Justin Welby was was promoting that and had that that vision, because I think that is one of the key roles of the church in today's society. A place where we can hear each other. It's not about everyone agreeing, it's not about everyone having the same opinion, the same ideals, the same same theology. It's a, a, a place where we hear each other and we see each other. We listen to each other. We love each other. And we encounter God in each other. What a vision. So I would really encourage you to be involved with that if that's something you're interested in. So we pronounce this, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is a statement of participation. We're not just wishing. We are saying, I am in. I am committed to this. We will work together to see your kingdom. Where there is discord, we will be people of reconciliation. Where there is poverty, where there is not enough, where there is brokenness, we will be people who meet the hungry with food. We will be people who meet the, the broken with healing and love and kindness, generosity. We will live differently. We will commit ourselves to this kingdom. Your kingdom come. We will wrestle ourselves out of the mindset of the kingdom we live in 
and we will learn to live the rhythms of a new kingdom. We will learn to live the rhythms of God's kingdom. We will discover ways of bringing about God's will, God's purposes, paths of reconciliation, paths of love, paths, deep acts of generosity and kindness and grace. We are a people of grace. And so we will model love, live out grace at all times. Is this mic rubbing or is it all? It's all good. Okay. So, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Another very significant statement. This prayer is all about Remember what I said about heaven being this place where all things are in harmony with God. All things are as they should be. There is this deep wholeness, this deep shalom. This is about earth becoming increasingly aligned with God. On earth may all things increasingly become in line with God. May this shalom build and crescendo all around us, in all aspects. This isn't about, uh, maybe we do a good enough job here that we get a ticket into heaven and we die. This is about the restoration of heaven and earth, here on earth. This is where, this is a statement of deep, profound hope. And hope, as we explored last term, is is a characteristic of our faith, is a characteristic of the people of God. We have a deep hope because however things look around us, we have this profoundly deep hope. We know that all things are heading to this point because Scripture tells us, because God tells us, because the Spirit confirms it within us, however desperate it is now. We know that this is all moving to a point where heaven and earth are reconciled, where all things are aligned with God, where all things are restored and renewed. And it gives us a hope to carry on, to push through, to keep going. And this prayer has that hope deeply rooted in it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the two align. Okay, that's the first half of the prayer. And what's interesting is, this half of the prayer is all about, it kind of builds, but it's about God and it's about participation. And, and if you see, this is all your name, your kingdom, your will. This prayer is all about inviting God's name to be known, inviting God's kingdom to come and committing ourselves to participation in seeing God's will brought about in all things. The second half, the second half, I'll flick that. So your name, your kingdom, your will, but the second half, our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. There is a, a rhythm and a cadence to this prayer that we should not miss.
There is an order to this prayer that we should not be oblivious to. So, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who are indebted to us. And you might be more familiar with other translations where it talks about sins or it talks about trespasses. This is the NIV and it talks about debts. We'll come to that. Give us today our daily bread. When I started looking at this passage a few weeks ago, when we decided this is what I was going to be teaching on, this was the line that leapt out for me. This is what we want to talk about this morning. Give us today our daily bread. Because, there's a lot going on here, we'll unpack it, but because this prayer is about this every day, all I'm asking for God is what I need for that day. Which has this beautiful idea, this beautiful rhythm in it of a daily relationship, walk with God, where every day all we're asking for is what we need for that day. May we have enough for today. This is being spoken out, this is being prayed with a group of people who are living in deep oppression, occupation. Poverty, suffering. There are reports, studies, there are estimates um, that the taxation in Judea at this time was in the region of 80 to 90 percent. And when you couldn't pay, they took your land off you. They took your farm off you. They took your livelihood off you. And then you would keep up for work because you didn't have your land anymore. And you would hope that you might get chosen to do a day's work at not very much pay on the land you used to own just to survive to get bread enough for your family for that day. So when they're praying, give us today enough bread for today, this is coming from a deep place of dependency. They are crying out to the God who is the father of everything, who is the source of everything, who is the provider of everything, the God who is in harmony with everything, the God who makes the crops grow. And they are saying in our desperation, may, may I have enough for today. And this isn't a pleasing, like, oh, please, can you, if you've got time. This is... In the Greek, this is an imperative verb. This is a give us our bread today, that we need today. This is a demand. And it comes out of this deep place of need, dependency. If you don't, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Which is really difficult for us to, for many of us, it's really difficult for many of us to be able to associate with. There might, we might have had times in our life, some of us have definitely, some of, some of you have definitely had times in your life where, and maybe even presently, where that is your reality. And if that is your reality, then this prayer is something you can absolutely know. But for many people in this room, we don't know that reality. For many of us, that's 
not something we've experienced. In fact, if, if all income stopped today, there'd be people in this room who would be fine for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And that's not wrong. That's fine. I'm not telling you to all put yourselves in a position where you have nothing, otherwise you can never understand this prayer. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking, though, is how do we, how do we learn to live that walk with God, to know that depth of relationship with God, to know that dependency and that intimacy, to know that, to have that relationship where we demand of God. Because if you don't, God, I don't know. If you don't, I have no idea. How do we learn that? How do we manage to live that? And it might not just be a financial thing. There are, some of you might point to health situations where you're going, I know it because I've lived it with this health situation. Or, you know, there's one situation where I, I look at in that and I kind of go, yeah, no, I, I had that moment. And uh, many of you will know that um, two, three years ago now, Jacob was in a really nasty accident, got knocked over by a car, had really serious injuries, and we had that phone call from the police that no parent ever wants. Going, your son's been in an accident, you need to get to hospital as quickly as you can. It's potentially fatal. Can you get there in the next 10 minutes? Do you need us to come and get you? Do you need an escort? Just the call that you never, ever want. And our response at that point, um, other than getting in the car and driving, was... We, we were with some friends, we were having dinner with some friends, and we prayed. And um, my prayer, years before, I'd had a conversation with God about my children, and God had given me some promises about my children. I think maybe a week or two before, Rachel had been praying specifically for Jacob about something, and had had this same promise back, he's going to be fine. He's going to grow up, he's going to live a life in relationship with me, he's going to, which, I mean, as a promise for a, par- for a parent, what greater promise can you imagine? But at that moment, when it looks for all the world like it's going the other way, my prayer was, okay, God, you said it's time to step up. I'm cashing that in. You said he was going to be okay, and he's not okay. What are you going to do? It wasn't a, oh, Lord, if you've got a moment, could you, could you help Jake if you've got a second? It wasn't that prayer. It was not that prayer. It was this prayer. It was imperatives, and it was, I need you now. But you see, I think we can become anesthetized to this walk with Christ, to this walk with God. We can become numb because we're so insulated by our wealth. We're so insulated by our privilege. We're so insulated by what we have. We're not oppressed. We're not occupied. We're not living in slavery. We're not impoverished. We're not being taxed 90%. We're not like we're... And we can become insulated 
to this walk with God because we're carrying too much. But all that, all that wealth does sometimes is teach us to want more. We live in a society that's always wanting more, right? You know, how panicky do we get when the news says, oh my goodness, we're in danger of going into recession. Recession means that for the first time in a long time, we haven't got more today than we had yesterday. But yesterday we had plenty, more than enough. And we panic because, oh, we've only got 1% more this year than we had last year. 1%. But 1% of a lot is a lot, right? Why do we get so panicky? Are we going, oh my goodness, we've only got 1% more this year. We're in trouble as a country. No, we're not. There are countries that are in trouble. We're not one of them. Well, not for that reason, anyway. <laughs> we have enough. We have plenty, but we live in this society that is always saying we need more, we need more, and we need more, and we need more. And how much has your pension plan got? And how much security have you got? And how much savings have you got? And what about those rainy day moments? And what about this? And have you got, and what about your children? Are your children going to have enough? Oh my goodness, how are your children ever going to survive? And what's going to... And we worry. And we forget to live in today because we're always, we're taught and we're conditioned. The kingdom we live in orders us to be worried about tomorrow. But the kingdom we align ourselves with commands us to not worry about tomorrow. Live today with God. In, in Proverbs 30, it says this, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, otherwise I may have too much and disown you, and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The writer of Proverbs is saying, look, I don't, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Give me enough for each day, because then that is how we walk this path with God. That is how we walk this walk in this kingdom that we are aligned to, that we are committed to, that we submit to. But our wealth, our privilege, anesthetizes us to that dependency on Christ. Do we need to have less to know God more? If you look at scripture, there does seem to be a theme in Jesus' teachings that suggests exactly that. And it's not subtle. Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. He's not pulling his punches there. Which always makes me wonder, you know, we say we believe this stuff. If we believe that stuff, why are we trying to get richer? And more to the point, why are we trying to make our kids richer than we are? Why are we trying to give them more provision than we had? Are we trying to make it harder for them? Why are we trying to protect them from struggle? 
you know, Jesus talks about the rich quite a lot. They don't tend to come out of Scripture very well. He says it's really difficult to live this life, to be part of this kingdom, and to have wealth. And this is one of the reasons in this prayer this is summed up, because are we living, give me, just give me today what I need? Or are we worrying about what's happening way down the road? Are we, what are the things that we have that stop us walking this path of dependency and relationship and intimacy with God? What are the things that get in the way? Is it that trust fund? Is it that rainy day account? Is it our CV or our career, our, our ambitions? We're working so hard in that. We know God's called us to do something else, but just let me get here first. Or let me get this financial situation. When I've earned that much, when I've got that much backed up, when I've got that much saved, when I've got that, then I'll do whatever you want, God. What are the things that we're not doing because we're not living this prayer? I believe at this point, this year, God is saying, okay, we're in. We've been talking about on the threshold of moving towards and there's a new thing coming and it's on its way and we're nearly there and I mean, we're bored of it. I know, I'm sure you're bored of it. Like, just like, seriously, we're still talking about, oh, it's still coming and it's coming and it's coming and oh my goodness, it, still? And last year, God was like, oh, year of transition. We're going, okay, yeah, year of transition. And then we're doing all this transition and we're rethinking our staffing structures and we're rethinking all sorts of stuff and we're in our transition and we're halfway through, which very clearly says any mathematician will tell you if you're halfway through something and it's taken a year and the first half's taken a year, the second half is going to take a year. So we're halfway through, so we're in another year of transition. It's coming, except God didn't say that at the beginning of this year. What God said at the beginning of this year was, okay, it's here, transition's over. I'm going, no, no, we're halfway through. Like, we're still, just pull it back a little bit there, God, because we're not done with the transition yet. And God's going, yeah, no, I know, but it's done. So we're in now. It's here. Go. The mood has changed. The spiritual temperature has changed. And the God is calling us to travel light. God is calling us to be nimble and fleet of foot. God is saying to us, it's in now. There is a new moment here. You need to learn to see it. You need to learn to walk it. You need to find the new rhythms. The way things have been is not how they're going to be. The things that have worked are not going to work. It's new things now. This prayer talks about a daily walk with God. Give me today what I need for today. And don't let me worry about tomorrow. Or the next step, or the next step, or the next step. I tell you, when God says you're in it, but I'm not going to show you what it looks like, you just got to walk every day. For a, vision, for a visionary leader, you feel quite redundant. <laughs> you're kind of going, okay, great, because that was my whole thing. We're going here. Come on, people. And God's going, yeah, we're not giving you that anymore. Now we're just walking it a day at a time. And this prayer says, walk every day with me. Come to me every day for what you need for that day. This is the path we need to walk. And what are we carrying? What are we worrying about tomorrow that we need to stop? What do we have? Be it money, be it 
career ambitions, be it whatever it might be that is stopping us doing whatever God says to do today? What is stopping us even asking the question? And the second part of this, where it says, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us, I'll move it back to that for you. Um, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We've talked before about forgiveness being an economy, not just a one-time thing. As we forgive, so we're forgiven. As we're forgiven, so we forgive. There's this economy going on. We build this economy, we create this space where forgiveness, being forgiven and forgiving is a culture that grows and develops. But this is about more than that because as much as give us today what we need for today and stop us worrying about tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the year after and whatever, this is about, and don't let me bring stuff that I don't need to bring. What's the stuff I need to leave behind? What's the guilt that is not helping me walk every day with God? What's the shame that is not helping me? Who are the people that I resent that mean that my heart is not in the right place? Who do I need to forgive? What do I need to be forgiven for? Where do I need to forgive myself for stuff? So I start to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for me and I want to walk it. Because that's what this prayer is about. A people who choose to live a different kingdom, who choose to have enough faith that says this is going in a different direction to the way that it looks like it's going. We're going to be a people who model something different. We are going to be a place of reconciliation, and we're going to be a place of healing, and we're going to be a place of transformation. We're going to be a people of generosity. We're going to be a people who give abundantly and generously, who, because the order of things is broken, we know that the earth provides enough But we're at the point where we use what we should be using in a year in August at the moment. It's all used. We are overusing because of our greed, because of our because of our greed as a people. But the earth provides enough, so the problem isn't provision, the problem is distribution. And the problem is greed. And we will be a people who distribute better. The early church was the people where people brought, they sold fields and whatever it was they had, investment funds and rainy day pots and whatever, and they brought it and it was distributed to the people who were hungry, to the people who were starving, who the people who were lost, the people who were, whatever need they had, all their needs were met. We have an invitation, more than an invitation, we have a command to be that people. So we will model a different community, a different culture. We will be people of this God praying in his kingdom and his purposes because we want to see heaven and earth restored and renewed. And we do that by choosing to see the world differently, by choosing to see the kingdom differently, by choosing to walk a day at a time What do I need for today? What courage do I need? What bread do I need? What resources do I need? What health do I need? And what do I need to let go? What do I need to leave behind? What do I need to not bring with me? What do I need to give away? 
so I can walk this walk. So I can walk this walk. Joe's going to come up now with the band, and we're going to we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer. And I hope as we sing this song, it has a new depth for you. Otherwise, I've just wasted the last 35 minutes. So, we did 35, not 30, but okay. So, what are we going to leave behind? And what do we need to give away? What do we need to lose? What's the insulation that's anesthetizing us? Now, we're going to have the welcomers with pieces of paper. They're going to come out and they're going to hand out pieces of paper. If you need a pen, put your hand up in the air and we'll give you a pen. What I want you to do, I want you to write down what are the things that are stopping you doing what God is calling you to do today. If you need to give it away, give it away. If you need to do some real business with God, let's do that this morning. Let's start that this morning. It's not all going to happen this morning. Work it out with your small group, with your family, with your friends, with the prayer group, with people who are walking this life with you. But start it today. Name it. Write it down today. And what's the stuff you need to forgive? Or be forgiven for? Or forgive yourself for? What's the stuff you need to leave behind? So what are the things we need to not be worrying about in the future? What are the things that are insuring us or securing us or insulating us or anesthetizing us or numbing us to what God is saying to us? And if you're sat there going, I just don't know what God wants, then maybe that's because we're being numbed and we've learned to be numb. And maybe the first step is to say, I don't want to be numb anymore. I want to walk this. I want to pray this prayer. Not just because we recite it in assembly when I was seven, but because it is the manner of life to me.